Welcome to the second day of our online retreat. I'm going to open the Dharma reflection with a quote. This is from Alice Walker. She says, You think you can avoid pain, but actually you can't. If you do, or if you try, you just get sicker, or you feel more pain. But if you can speak it, if you can write it, if you can paint it, this is very healing. So someone asked yesterday, why are we doing this? And we're doing this because we're learning in a way how to relate in a skillful, kind, potentially healing way to our experience. And in our case, on a meditation retreat, <laughs> we're not going to do so much speaking and writing and painting and dancing. But we can bring that spirit of creativity, of a kind of uh, immersion into our experience with a curiosity, with an interest, with the courage and tenacity to really be intimate, to get to know what our experience is and what experience is. What is it? So Vedana is one of my favorite topics. Vedana is what Andrea was referring to as feeling tone, the second foundation or establishment of mindfulness in the Satipatthana Sutta. And um, it's one of my favorite topics because I've found it so useful in my own practice, in my own life. And as has already been described, Vedna is like the, the flavor, the valence of every moment of experience. And according to Buddhist teaching, there are just three flavors. <laughs> pleasant, unpleasant, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant which is called neutral, sometimes referred to as neutral. And it turns out that this paying attention to this valence, to this feeling tone of our, the moments of our experience is a doorway 
it's really in a way a linchpin to unraveling suffering. So many of you know in the teaching of the Four Noble Truths that the Buddha teaches that there is suffering, dukkha, that there is a cause of suffering, which he describes as tanha, as clinging or grasping, which we'll talk about a little more in a bit. And there is the possibility of freedom, of nirodha, of being released from that web, that tangle, that wheel of ongoing perpetuation of suffering. And there's a path. There is uh, a way forward, which is marga. And I thought, if I can find it here, I would actually read the opening lines of the Satipatthana Sutta, which for me are extremely uh, uplifting and um, encouraging. This is from Venerable Analyo's translation, or an adaptation of it. He says, there is, a, there is a way, there is a path, a direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha and discontent, for acquiring a true method, and for the realization of nibbana, of freedom. And what is that way? What is that path? It is what we're practicing here, the practice of these four satipatthanas, this training of our attention. So in the first uh, foundation or establishment of mindfulness, we're doing is kind of, I think of as a bit of a radical shift for most of us. Uh, we're shifting our attention from being lost in thought, from being uh, lost in the engagement in our external world and our interactions to really landing right here. And the body and breath are a support for that. Because unlike our thoughts, our feelings, our ideas, our wishes, our memories, the body is always in the present. So this is where we begin, here. Because if we're going to do this intimate exploration of our experience, <laughs> we, need, we need to be located, we need to be present. Because it turns out, as Alice Walker suggests, that our experience is, uh, includes pain, or as the Buddha would say, includes dukkha. I think this is good and bad news, don't you? You know, why would the Buddha say something so obvious? There's suffering in human life. Well, yeah, we know that. But he's saying something so obvious because our tendency is to uh, think that 
that's a problem. And what I mean by that is when there's suffering, when there is, in the language of Vedna, when there's unpleasant experience, or we could say when there's pleasant experience and it goes away, either one, we experience as unpleasant. We think there's something wrong. And the tendency then is we want to blame someone. Who is jackhammering outside the window? (laughs) You blame them. Or often we blame ourselves. If only I could fill in the blank, be more of this or less of that, then of course there would be no suffering. If only I were a better meditator, if only I were more enlightened, if I, but that's not what the Buddha taught. No, he said, no, there's suffering in human life. It's nobody's fault. It's the way it is. So Vedana begins to give us a way in to uh, not try to avoid what's difficult, not numb to what's difficult, not turn away or grimace or any of the the habitual ways that we react to difficult experience. But Vedana begins to give us a, a clue as to how we can work with this. So, I said this before, I'm just pulling my notes forward. Um, We have this tendency to focus on the objects of our experience and to imagine that if we could just line up our experiences just right, if we could, you know, move things around, and get them lined up just so it was all comfortable and good, then we'd be happy, or then we'd be free, or then we'd be awake. That's not what the Buddha taught either. We're not trying to change the content of our experience. We are practicing shifting our relationship to experience. So here's how Vedana fits in. I'm going to propose to you that any moment of experience is comprised of three parts. <laughs> and they aren't, this isn't different from the three flavors, but those of you who've been around Buddhism know that most things in Buddhist teaching, a lot of teachings in Buddhism come in threes. <laughs> so One aspect of a moment of experience uh, that allows a moment of experience to arise is uh, awareness. And awareness, I think of as the big mystery. Mindfulness, which is what we're practicing, I think of as a subset of awareness. Mindfulness is this capacity to pay attention to what's happening, which is a way, it's something that awareness allows us to do. But awareness is not something we do. Awareness is given. Awareness is 
what you came in with. It's actually what you're made of. It's what everything is made of. It's that nobody knows what it is. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we can't engage with it as we do in mindfulness practice in a skillful way. So we have awareness. And then we have what I'm referring to as the objects of awareness. We have sights, sounds, smells, tastes. We also have sensations, thoughts, feelings, all of those. Some feel more internal, some feel more external. Those are objects of awareness. And in simpler language, we might just think of them as those are the things we pay attention to. Awareness, object. Now here's where Vedana comes in. I'm trying to get my hands in the screen. There we go. Um, Vedana is in the relationship between. And the way that Vedana works is that every experience, so an experience isn't in the awareness and the experience isn't in the object, it's here. And our experiences have this feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And for most of us, a pleasant experience, the process goes kind of like this. It's pleasant, I like it, I want it, I hold on to it, I want more of it, I'm not gonna let go of it. <laughs> right? We try to go after and get pleasant things, and they can be actual things like cars and shoes and chocolate, but they can also be internal things like pleasant thoughts, pleasant sensations, pleasant states of body, heart, and mind. This is one of the very early insights that uh, I had in my first years of practice was that I sat in my, in my early days with a lot of physical pain because I was a very tight person and my body reflected that. And um, I completely forgot what I was going to say. Let's see if I can back up to it tight body, oh, that, um, uh, I lost it again. See, now I wanna, I wanna blame you guys. Like, when, when do you know what it was I was gonna say? All right, we're gonna trust it'll come back. Um, so there's Vedana, there's the experience, and there's our relationship to the experience. I'm gonna have to go somewhere else, sorry. <laughs> um, let's see. Nope, I thought maybe it would come back. It's not coming back. When you were young, the 
this was an important part of your practice. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, because I learned something. I'm trying to remember what it was that I learned. Uh, what I learned in my early practice was that, I don't know, I can't remember, sorry. Um, well, what I wanted to say, I can't, which I can't remember how I was trying to get there, is that this Vedana is conditioned. This is what Andrea was saying. That uh, all by itself, an object isn't pleasant or unpleasant. And awareness is also doesn't hold that unpleasant or pleasant experience in it. But our conditioning causes us to register, to experience things as pleasant or unpleasant. Now, some things, it seems kind of obvious, you know, like something that many of us would consider really smelly, we would agree conventionally that it's unpleasant. But we know that it's conditioned because for some people, two people, the same object can be received very differently. You ever had that experience? You share a meal with someone and you think, oh, this is great. And someone else says, no, this is terrible. I don't like it at all, right? And that, those experiences can happen from the immediate taste, but often they're conditioned. And I had this memory of when I was, uh, my experience of eating grapefruit is, bleh, don't like. And I remembered as I was reflecting on this talk that when I was in high school, I once had this incident where I was kind of trying to sneak eating a piece of grapefruit in a class and I took too big a piece and it lodged in my throat <laughs> and I started coughing and thinking, you know, I was going to choke. So that's an example of how our conditioning then can flavor our relationship to an object. I'm giving a simple example of a piece of grapefruit, but this is true for us all the time. So this is how we can understand from a Buddhist perspective the idea of implicit bias, right? That we're all sitting in a set of, in a cultural and personal and historical set of conditionings that then determine how we respond to our experience. So here's, in a way, the most important thing that I want to say, which is that the Buddha never said that if you meditate or if you wake up, <laughs> that you won't have any more unpleasant experience. And what I think, because it's true in me and I hear it in a lot of other people, is that somewhere in many of us, we have this kind of hidden belief that if we just did it right, the unpleasant experiences would go away. And if we're doing our best and the unpleasant experiences aren't going away, then there must be somebody else to blame. You know, let's, let's figure out what's wrong with this. Oh, it's because it's online or it's because of the jackhammers or it's because I don't like Buddhism anyway, I should go take up Sufi dancing. That's what we do. 
because we, we were confused. And so as we begin to pay close attention to this Vedana, we can begin to actually see how the process of our entanglement happens. How a pleasant experience has grasping in it. That's what I wanted to say. That's what I learned, was that there's a difference between the discomfort and the resistance to it. So that was my experience as a young, tight-bodied person, was that I had all this physical tightness, and that was just pain. But when I stopped resisting, when I stopped tensing, when I stopped beating myself up in my mind for being so tight and uncomfortable, then a whole layer of the suffering fell away, even though there was still physical discomfort. And the same principle is true with emotional discomfort, psychic discomfort. And the flip side is true, that when we have a pleasant experience, I think it's worth saying that the Buddha didn't say that, it, that you shouldn't have pleasant experience. And I will extrapolate from that and say, if you're having a pleasant experience or even several moments of pleasant experience, please enjoy. <laughs> like you can be with that too. But what you'll start to notice if you're paying close attention is that when you're with pleasant experience, there's a difference between the pleasant experience and the holding on to it. Just like there's a difference between the unpleasant experience and the resisting of it, which is where the learning came from me early on. And with pleasant experience, the experience is what it is. The holding on to it, not so pleasant. So as we, have a, as we move through a period of practice where we've dedicated ourselves to quieting things down, slowing and simplifying our lives to some degree, we have a chance to see how this stuff works. And it's not a small thing. Because this, I like it, I want it, I grasp it. I don't like it, I don't want it, I push it away. This is the seed of our personal suffering, of our collective suffering, this is where it begins. Many of you know what, how would I say it? <laughs> what a bad strategy it is to assume that it, basically if I can just get the good experience and get rid of the bad experience, in my life, if I could just, you know, do that, then everything would be good. You know, I'd be happy. <laughs> I'd like to say that's not a recipe for being happy. It's a recipe for being exhausted because it's endless. Why? Because experience keeps coming. So we don't want to focus on trying to manipulate our experience all the time. Of course, you know, if there's jackhammers outside your window and you can go to another room, go to another room. 
But all of us have had the experience where there's discomfort of some sort, and we can't get away from it. That's what the Buddha said. There's suffering in our lives as human beings. It's part of the deal. It's not because you're doing something wrong. Again, it's both the good news and bad news. The bad news is that there's suffering, and the good news is it's not your fault. So you don't have to pretend it away. You don't have to push it away. You don't have to ignore it away. As Alice Walker said, that just causes more pain. But instead, we want to learn how to be intimate with our pleasant and our unpleasant experience, and even with our neutral experience. A neutral, neutral... It's a little hard to describe what neutral is because it doesn't just mean less unpleasant. Less unpleasant is just less unpleasant, meaning some unpleasant experiences are really intense and loud and painful, and others are just like mild irritation, still unpleasant. (laughs) Neutral, I think of as boring. Neutral for many of us are those experiences that we don't even notice. But when we come on meditation retreat, when we start to quiet down and slow down, we may start to notice that there are experiences that are happening that don't have a really strong valence to them. And you can get interested in that as well. How is that? What's that like? What's the impact of it? Is there grasping or aversion with neutral experience? It's for you to find out, to discover. We talked about wanting to make sure that we have more, uh, enough time for you to ask questions. I'll have a few more things to say. Actually, really, there's just one more thing to say, which is probably, uh, for many of you, the question At least it was the question that I hear over and over, which is like, okay, all that's fine and good, but now what? (laughs) Right? Like, how do I actually work with this? What do I do with all this, you know, imagine that 24-7 you have pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experience coming at you all day, every day. And I just told you what not to do, right? It's not really what not to do. It's not even, I'm not even saying don't grasp or don't push away. What I am saying is that when you grasp, notice the impact. Because our grasping, that is our fundamental reactivity. We like it, we want it. I don't like it, I don't want it. And that grasping and pushing away, <laughs> it's the basic reverberation in our systems. As we quiet down, we start to see it at a subtler and subtler level. So if I'm not saying uh, try, try to get rid of those things, so I'm saying don't try to line up your life to have everything pleasant and get rid of all the unpleasant. To the degree you can do that, great but it's not a super wise general strategy for being alive. 
<laughs> and I'm also not saying that you should, like, I mean, I'm not saying don't grasp and don't push away. What I am saying is when you grasp, notice the impact. When you reject, deny, push away, notice the impact. In other words, stay awake. And you're looking to notice not just the objects, but your relationship to them and the impact of your relationship to them. And to do that requires, Andre has been speaking about this in a really beautiful way, a kind of open, receptive quality of attention, quality of mindfulness. It includes the courage to keep looking, attending, being interested, being curious, but also has this big flavor of like being like a sponge that, we, that we're taking in and allowing what's here to be here and to be known, really known up close. Not our ideas about what's happening, but really our direct intimate experience of it. Often I describe it as we have an experience that comes in and very quickly we go up into the mind we have a whole bunch of ideas and opinions about it. And as we are focusing on this first foundation of mindfulness, which can be very helpful for working with Vedana, no, instead of going up, let's go down. Go down into the body. What does unpleasant feel like? What does pleasant feel like? What does grasping feel like? What does pushing away feel like? What does neutral feel like? And I don't mean feel emotion, I mean feel sense. This is called intimacy with, being with. And as we do that, as we begin to pay attention to these kind of, I think of them as like the big rocks, you know, our experience and our reaction to it, we start to see that a lot of, or we can start to see, how it is that those reactions are conditioned. We can start to see the ideas, the beliefs, the assumptions that are kind of buried in our reactivity. Like, it's not supposed to be that way. <laughs> or, if I only sat quietly enough or I were smarter or I were a better meditator, then we start to see those often deeply buried ideas, beliefs, and assumptions that are very much, in my experience, the stuff that keep us bound, that keep us unfree. So I'll read a little story. Find it. It's a story about uh, someone who comes to the Buddha with his problems. And uh, here it is. Once a farmer went to tell the Buddha about his problems. He explained how 
droughts and monsoons had complicated his work. And he told the Buddha about his wife and that even though he loved her, there were certain things that he didn't like so much and he wanted to be different. And the same with his children. He had wonderful children, but even though they were pretty good, they hadn't turned out exactly the way he wanted. And when he finished his kind of list of complaints, he turned to the Buddha and said, you know, how can you help me with my troubles? And the Buddha said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And this, the farmer got upset. He's like, what do you mean? You're supposed to be this great teacher, this great sage. And the Buddha said, it's like this. All human beings have 83 problems. It's a fact of life. And sure, some of the problems will go away, but then other ones will come, and there'll always be 83 problems. And the farmer now got really upset, and he said, well, if that's the case, then what's the point of your teaching? And the Buddha said, my teaching can't help you with the 83 problems, but maybe it could help you with the 84th problem. And the farmer said, well, what's that? And the Buddha said, the 84th problem is that we don't want to have any problems. <laughs> so this is what we can start, can start to be revealed. These kind of often unconscious, buried beliefs, assumptions, views, opinions that are fueling this samsaric wheel of grasping and aversion of wanting and not wanting. This is part of what we can begin to see for ourselves. And as we see, we see and see through. This is, this is what healing means. And that healing, that process takes a quality of both calming down Settling, quieting, stabilizing, concentrating, and then turning to look, to see, to be curious about what's here. What's here and what's my relationship to what's here? Can I be with that? And if what's here or my relationship to it gets things churned up too much, then we settle down again. So there's enough steadiness so we can see. And that, in a way, is how we learn to be with all of it, all the flavors. So we may come in thinking that we want only pleasant experience and get rid of all the unpleasant experience. But what we discover is something so much better. What we discover is that it's all workable. That every moment of experience, no matter how intense or subtle, no matter how difficult it may be, that it can be a doorway for us to wake up 
to see clearly, to have some insight. And in that, there's a kind of alchemical process of transformation that begins to happen. You don't do that. You do your part. You settle down. You do your best to be present with, to learn from, to be interested in. And when it gets to be too much, settle down again, back and forth. This is the art of our practice. And we can use Vedana as a kind of I don't know, like a flashlight or something. We can use Vedana as one of the dimensions that we pay attention to that can be revelatory. It can help us begin to see and understand and be freed from, released from aspects of our tangle, our entanglement that are often are unseen. keep us tired, keep us on this wheel of (laughs) looking for love in all the wrong places, imagining that freedom is something that is over there. It's always right here. This is always the doorway. Each, Each flavored moment of our experience. 